Welcome back to Moments with Moni. I am truly, truly happy that you are here. An entire year of COVID is over. The calendar year is done. And today we head into Revelation chapter 12. All right, everyone. The year of COVID has ended. One year under our belt and who knows what the future holds except for God. So it's good that we continue in Revelation, right? Let's not even skip a beat with that. But for right now, I would like us all to just take a deep breath and start all over, start anew. So here we go. And exhale. There, do that a few times. Not too many or you'll pass out, but it will calm you down. And let's sit down and listen to God's word. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. No, this is not a young adult sci-fi story, and it's not a nursery rhyme either. But there is so much background to this, just these six verses, that if you don't know what it is, you might be thinking, what in the world? What is all this about? With a quick glance, we can see that there are three players in this story, three characters. We have a, a woman who's pregnant. We have a dragon who is in the story, and he seems to be after the child that this woman is going to give birth to. Does that ring any bells within scripture? This sign was used to help John understand some things that God was trying to tell him. And also, through John, we are coming to understand what this means. Women in the Bible often represent some type of a religious system. And here uh, we have an example of Jezebel, who was associated with a religious system uh, of false teaching in Revelation 2.20. There was also the great harlot in Revelation 17.2 also with a false religion. And then the bride is associated with the church, the true church, in Revelation chapter 19. The woman clothed here with the sun is associated to many different religions. But as we let scripture interpret scripture, we can see that this woman clothed with the sun should be identified with Israel according to Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, 
Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in his mind. That reminds me of when Mary was told by the angel that she was going to give birth to the man-child. And when the shepherds came to her after Jesus was born and told her all these things and brought him gifts, she kept all these things and she pondered them in her mind. Another reason for us to believe that it is truly Israel, that this woman is Israel, is that the bride of Christ, the church, is often portrayed, always portrayed, as a chaste virgin bride. This woman is pregnant. She's about to give, she's ready to give birth to someone. Who would that someone be? Well, later in the chapter, it's revealed that it's very clear that the child born of Israel is Jesus, that this woman bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. In Revelation 12, 5, it says she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Well, where have you heard about someone ruling with a rod of iron? Only one place, and that's going to be Jesus during the millennial reign. And this child was caught up to God after his birth to the throne. And this was his ascension to heaven after he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And this woman, she cried out in labor and in pain as she was giving birth. This pain describes the travail of Israel at the time of Jesus's birth. While at the time that Jesus was born, Israel was under the rule of the Roman occupation and they were crying out for help. The Jews were crying out for their Messiah. They got one, but they didn't recognize him as their true Messiah at the time. And the third actor on the stage here at the beginning of chapter 12 of Revelation is a fearful, powerful dragon. In chapter 12, verse 3, it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. I suppose this might be where a lot of people get that false impression of what the devil looks like, this great red fiery dragon with a big tail and a pitchfork. But that's not really what is being described here. It's a picture of his nature and his character. He's a nasty thing. The number seven in the Bible is not a picture of perfection. It's a picture of completeness. So we have a complete picture of this enemy who has seven heads. On each one of them is a, a crown, a diadem. That's a different kind of crown than the real Jesus wears. But nonetheless, a crown on each one of these. 
and he represents a presumptive claim of royal royalness. He's definitely not the real king. And this nasty thing was waiting for that man-child to be born and to devour it as soon as it was born. And this dragon is also described in Daniel chapter 7, starting in 7, verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all of the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And many commentators believe that this creature is described here as the world ruler of the Great Tribulation who will reign over the revived Roman Empire. This little horn who exalts himself and wants to rule the world and be king himself has been on the stage of this story since chapter 3 of Genesis. With his tail, we're told that this dragon drew a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down towards the earth. Here it's talking about the angelic hosts of heaven, Satan and his angels. Revelation 12 verse 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. We'll get to that shortly. But this army of angelic beings, of, of heavenly hosts that were heavenly hosts, are now in cahoots with Satan. And they are, at his bidding, ruling over the world of with these demonic spirits. Oh, but they are still on a leash. God is still in control. Like I mentioned in Genesis 3, this dragon, Satan, has been after this man-child ever since the beginning of time, the beginning when Adam and Eve finally had a child and the devil thought, ooh, this might be the seed that I need to destroy. So he influenced brother against brother and the first murder occurred. And then he continued after the seed all throughout time and history until now. There's more and more examples of it in scripture. He went after Jacob. He went after the babies in Herod's time. He went after Jesus when he was born. And yes, there is a battle that's going on in the heavenlies over our souls. And there is a battle going on between good and evil. But Satan is not on the same standing as God. God has already won the war. Satan was a created being. He's nowhere near what God is. And the enemy of our souls doesn't like that he has already lost this war. 
He's going to get his in Revelation chapter 19, which is still our future. But instead of taking his ball and going home because he knows he's lost, he's going to try and take as many people with him to hell as he can. And that place was created for him, not for you. But if we refuse the free gift of eternal life through Jesus, it is where we will end up. Our soul will be in hell without the blood of Jesus washing us clean. Because of his death, we can have eternal life. So don't let that picture of that pitchforked, funny-looking guy with a tail throw you off. That's just a cartoon character. The real thing is nasty. That's the real nasty thing. And that's why that dragon was after Jesus when he was born. Then Herod, in Matthew chapter 2, it explains, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. This nasty thing killed all the male children because he was after that one seed from God. But guess what? He didn't win. There's still hope. And then this man-child grew died on a cross, and rose again. And he beat the devil at his own game. God wins. God knows the end from the beginning. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day, during the tribulation period, that male child called Jesus is waiting to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And this is referring to Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the Jews, even though they didn't accept him as their savior at the time because they were looking for an earthly ruler. They didn't realize that Jesus had so much more in mind for them. They weren't thinking about the covenant that was made with the Jewish people. If they were remembering the covenant, the promises that God had given them in the past, they would know that it would be an eternal future for them. So in Psalm chapter 2 and Revelation 19, it talks about this. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, and it's talking about Jesus. This is after he comes down from heaven on that white horse with all of his entourage, all of us, his church behind him, the bride of Christ. And then he will rule and reign the nations with a rod of iron. Yes, he came to the earth as a lamb that first time, but he's coming back as a lion, as the judge of the earth. 
and he will stand triumphant during this time. Now, all of this background is very important for us to understand these six verses in chapter 12. If we don't understand the history of the Bible, we can come to a wrong conclusion about who this woman is. There are different denominations that believe that this is not Israel, but actually the church to them, which can throw off your whole theology. And in turn, they would put Mary, the mother of this denomination, as the actual head of their church, which doesn't agree with scripture at all. And as we continue into verse 6, we can see even more proof. This woman, she flees into the wilderness, and while she's there, she is protected by God, and he feeds her there for 1,260 days. Do you remember that portion of scripture from someplace else earlier in Revelation? Yes, it's referring to 42 months or three and a half years. Yes, I'm sure you recognize this timestamp. It's the same thing we've heard. This is the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. This is a reference to the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. It's the 70th week of Daniel, this three and a half and three and a half years of the tribulation period that is going on. It's an obvious uh, break in time in history that we're in right now, this age of grace, the church age. And this, for lack of a better term, this time out or standing in the corner or whatever you want to call it, age of grace, much better as God calls it, the church age. As this ends, there will be a rapture and then there will be the three and a half and three and a half years or a total um, of the entire tribulation period followed by the millennium. Well, there's something in between there as well. And after that, but so far, we've covered quite a lot in this chapter. So this woman, there was a prepared a place for her in the wilderness. Now, a lot of people believe that this wilderness place is the rock city of Petra. It's south of the Dead Sea. And Christian businessmen have been stockpiling stuff and foods and things there. But I don't know. I mean, if people know where it's at now, won't the enemy be able to find them there later? So I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt. Only God knows how he's going to protect them. This particular Greek word of prepared means the same thing as in John chapter 14, chapters two or verses 2 and 3 that says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This demonstrates God's careful planning. Well, again, some commentators believe this, but most of the time I've always heard this particular verse, John 14, alluding to the place that Jesus is preparing for his bride in heaven. And those that will be hidden inside, if it is this place, Petra, those will be those of Israel 
his chosen people, God's chosen people, that will be protected by this prepared place. Okay, and we will continue with Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Ooh, the devil's going to get his. Yes, Michael and the angels will be fighting against them. Now, again, there are denominations that believe that Michael, this archangel, is actually Jesus. But that's not right. It's not correct according to scripture. We have an angel, an archangel, that was in heaven created just like Satan was when he was there as the worship leader in heaven, being one so beautiful and every jewel just shining in him and leading worship in heaven, but turned so prideful that he was thrown out of heaven and took a third of the angels with him. But not to worry. Yeah, okay, so a third of them left and they're going to be fighting against people here on the earth, but there's two thirds that are still left. So we have better odds. And above and beyond that, we have God. If we're on God's side, all you have to do is hide behind him. Hide behind Jesus and let him take care of your battles. When the enemy comes towards you, just turn the hand. Let him talk to Jesus. Don't take time like Eve did to converse with him. There's nothing that we need to talk to Satan about. It's all been said. God said it. It's going to happen. His future, the enemy's future, is already written in black and white. Just read the end of this book if you want to hear the answers. Okay, so how do I know that Michael was an archangel? Have you ever read the book of Jude? It's only one chapter. It's nice and short. You can read it. In verse 9, it says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Even the archangel Michael doesn't spend time arguing with the enemy. He just turns and says, The Lord rebuke you. There's a little bit of a lesson in there for us as well. I would not rebuke the enemy in my own authority. The archangel Michael did that in the Lord's authority. So in this part of the scriptures, we see the war going on in heaven. Angels fighting against angels, good against evil. Truly a battle between equals in this particular section. Satan and God are not equals. Satan is nothing compared to our God Almighty. God has no counterpart. He always was, is, and always will be. He's not a created being like Satan and the other angels, good or bad. Do you remember I told you earlier that the enemy, he's always been trying to fight against the seed of the woman ever since Adam and Eve were on the earth and they had children. Daniel foretold this time, this battle, back in Daniel chapter 12. 
Verse 1, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a, a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And this time of war in the heavens is also described to us in Ephesians chapter 6 when we are told uh, what to do and how to go about this. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm reminded about This Present Darkness, a book by Frank Peretti. I remember reading that book, and then oh, I have the pleasure of knowing him. And at the time, we were attending the same church. And I walked up to him at church that morning and told him that I started uh, his books. And I got so angry that I threw it against the wall through it, you know, across the room. And it took me about three months before I picked it up. Well, I guess that was his second book that was about um, children that were being mistreated. And he told me, well, I guess I got my emotions across in that book because it made me pretty angry too. But this first one, this present darkness, it taught me more about spiritual warfare than I had ever known before. I think I was in my 30s when I started reading that. So if you can pick up a copy, it's, it's definitely not the Bible and he will tell you that. He wouldn't want you to raise his writings above the Bible, but it certainly did give me a deeper understanding of what spiritual warfare and prayer is all about. As long as I'm talking about Frank Peretti, I'll rabbit trail here for a moment. My husband's reading through Frank Peretti's book, The Oath, I remember reading that when I was much younger as well, and it was scary. It was really scary. I think I blocked a lot of it out. Uh, I enjoyed reading about the people in the book and the places in the book, which seemed so close to me because I live in the area that he was writing of, and some of the descriptions of the people within the story I thought, I know that person. I've seen that. I've met that person. So anyway, my husband was reading the oath in bed the other night, and I told him, I asked him, did you get to the scary part yet? And he goes, what? Are you kidding? It's all scary. Which I knew, and he knows. He's read it before as well. But seriously, it is nothing compared to what is coming. To that great tribulation period, when all hell breaks loose. Yeah, you don't want to be here. Please don't be here. And I'm sharing all this for someone who might not know Jesus yet. Here's your invitation. Come to him so that you don't have to go through that tribulation period, so that you can spend eternity with Jesus. And to those of us that do know him, I hope this helps us understand that there's a timeline and there's a purpose for what God does and we shouldn't have to be afraid. God reminds us so many times, fear not, fear not for I am with you. 
When we know and understand God's plan, we know we are safe in his hands. Okay, the flesh is going to die one way or another. We lose this earth suit so that we can be in heaven with him forever. Because of sin, that's the way it's got to be. We don't want to stay down here forever in the ugliness and in the sin. There is a better way, and that's Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. My prayer is that you were blessed by God's word. I know that you are. If you heard, read, and obey the words of Revelation, you are blessed. That was at the beginning of this book. It is a promise of this book. So take heart. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I hope that you will share it with family and friends. I invite you to go to my blog, momentswithmoni.com. You can find every episode there on the podcast. You can choose one and send it to your friends. I would be honored if you would share with me the burden of praying for those that are listening to this podcast. I'm blessed to know that it is being sent and heard all over the world. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you.